This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Our uh, intention this morning was to design a morning around this table, uh, both literally and figuratively. Uh, we are um, asking that the Holy Spirit would do something in our midst uh, surrounding these elements, this uh, juice and this bread that's far more than we could do on our own. So will you pray with me as we begin our time of study in the Word? Holy Spirit, would you, would you stir in our hearts? Would you press on us um, areas where you want to uh, pull us deeper into the mystery of this meal? Lord, may we taste and see that you are good as we celebrate your table together this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. 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 Um, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we're in a series that we're calling Tune My Heart. Uh, it, it's a line out of Robert Robinson's hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, where he wrote, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Grace. And we, we're asking the question over the last few weeks, God, how do you reach down inside the human soul and tune our heart? What are some of the ways that you interact with us? What are some of the ways that you transform us and make us different and change us more into the image of Jesus? And we've looked at disciplines um, like worship. We've looked at disciplines like, like hearing God's voice through his word. Last week, we explored confession and how God meets us in that place and tunes our heart to sing his grace. And as you've been with us, if you have over the last however long, you know that on the first Sunday of every month, methodically, we celebrate the Lord's table. And as we were in this series, I thought it would be neat to dive a little bit deeper into this ordinance, this sacrament that we celebrate every month. Because it is one of the great ways that God reaches down inside of us and tunes our heart to sing his grace. And I pray that today you might know his goodness and his grace to you in a significant, very real, and special way as we celebrate this table together. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Chapter 11, that's where we're going to be camping out this morning as we look at this topic of communion. Uh, in our tradition, we call it communion. It goes by a few other words um, as well. The Lord's Supper is what it's called in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, some streams of Christianity call it the Eucharist, which uh, literally means I give thanks. It's a, it's a meal of thanksgiving. Um, and we also call it communion. It's derived from the, the Latin term communio that literally means shared in common. It's a, it's a common meal. It's a meal that, that connects us together and it connects us with some great truths that as followers of Jesus, we wrap our hearts and our minds around and affirm in a way that changes the way that we live and walk and move and breathe. Uh, for Christmas, my wife got me a road bike. I, I wanted to, 2014, get into to road biking because I'd perfected um, running, and so I just needed something else to do. Um, yeah, 
Thank you for laughing at me. I appreciate that. No. Uh, and so um, I, I went out on my first maiden voyage all alone because, um, well, I knew I was going to look like a moron, and I didn't disappoint myself. So I was um, cruising down a hill, and I'm, I, I am shifting gears where it's getting harder and harder to pedal, and I got to the point where I needed to go uphill, and I realized that I didn't know how to shift gears to make it easier to pedal. And so on my maiden voyage of my road bike, I had to pull over, and luckily I had my phone in my um, jersey spandex that I was wearing, and I Googled, how do I shift a bike, this bike, you know? And I felt like the biggest idiot. And they're like, well, there's all these forums. So evidently, I'm not the first person. It was a little bit of, of consolation. And you have to hit the brake to the side. That's what shifts the bike. And so I shifted the bike. The other thing I had to get used to was the pedals that um, I had these special shoes that click me into the pedals and lock my feet down. And it's terrifying, terrifying. The second ride I was on with a group of friends, we got to a point where we were going to turn around, and I I started to do that slowly, and as I did that, I knew I was going to have to come to a stop, and I started to just freak out, and I tried to pull my feet out of the pedals as hard as I could, and the harder I tried, the less progress I made, and if you've been there with your feet clipped in, going down, you know that feeling, and it's not a good feeling, and I just ate it on the concrete. Wasn't going fast. I wasn't going anywhere, but I just tipped over slow motion. <laughs> Clipped out and I was good to go. But here's the thing that I recognize. In, in riding my bike with these, pa- these uh, shoes that click into the pedals, uh, there's some significant benefits to being connected to your pedals. I mean, you can pull instead of just push. There's a lot more control. There's some things that are more difficult, but being connected is key when riding a bike like that. And I started to think about Jesus' words in John chapter 15, where he invites his disciples. He invites his followers. He invites people like you and people like me to abide, to connect, to, to, to live life in a way where our hearts and our souls and our minds would be centered in him, resting in him, tasting his goodness, knowing his grace. And he says, listen, that's the only way to bear fruit, to to live a life that would be filled with the, the joy and the goodness that God designed you to. So he says, abide in me, connect to me. And as I read through our text of study this morning, The very first place in scripture, not not as you read through the scripture, but the very first letter that was written that actually talked about the Lord's Supper, it's before, 1 Corinthians was written before any of the gospel accounts that tell us about the last night that Jesus spent with his disciples. As Paul unpacks this for the Corinthian church, there's this idea that flows throughout the passage, and it's the idea, the reality, the invitation to be connected to connect uh, to God, to connect to one another. And so as we read, I want to just point out a few invitations that God gives you and me to connect with him through this meal in a way that could potentially tune our hearts to sing his grace. If you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll start in verse 17. And here's the way it starts. It says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. So uh, previously, Paul had said to the Corinthian church, here's some things that you're doing really great. Keep those up. Keep pressing in on that. But he says, but when it comes to this table, I, I don't look as fondly on the way that you're interacting as a body. He says, but because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Ouch. 
For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there's division among you. And I believe that in part. Don't you love how Paul, in a very real, very sort of fatherly leadership type of way, filters through the gossip that he hears, and he says, um, I, I don't, it's probably not as bad as they say, but my guess is there's a reality to what I hear. I don't know how he heard about it first century, but word got back to him that this is getting a little bit ridiculous. He says, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine might be recognized. And he says, when you come together, verse 20, is it not the Lord's Supper that you, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So he says, you can celebrate this table and completely miss God's invitation. For in eating, one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not, Paul says. So here's the context. The context is in the, in the early church, this, this, this supper, this Lord's Supper, was part of a bigger meal. It was a meal that the church would come together and, and would eat. And what Paul says is it's sort of the end and the culmination of the meal. It's the center point of the meal, but it follows the actual genuine eating and meal that they would celebrate together as a church. And he says, and when you get to this table, some people are stuffed, full to the brim, and and some people didn't have enough to eat. Some people had a little bit too much wine, and some people had none. And he says, listen, that is absolutely crazy. When we celebrate this table, he says there needs to be a certain seriousness, a certain intentionality that surrounds what we do. It's the scriptural mandate for a potluck. So, So bring it together and eat it together. He says, shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Okay, verse 23. Verse 23. For... I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So he says, what I told you to do when you celebrate this table, that he delivered to them when he planted, helped plant this church in Corinth, he says, what I told you to do, that's what Jesus told me to tell you to do. So, so don't, don't mess with it. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. Let's just pause there for a moment. Here's what Paul does. He intentionally connects the Corinthian church, the Corinthian believers who were um, gathered probably at homes. They were celebrating this meal, and then they were celebrating the Lord's Supper together. He says, you don't just do this as some idea that you wanted to do or even something that I told you to do. He says, first thing, that the, the way communion, the Lord's Supper, tunes our heart is that it connects our present to the past, connects our present to the past. When you come up here in just a few moments to take communion, you're entering into a stream of Christianity that's been flowing for 2,000 plus years. Can you imagine that, that this celebration, this table 
for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been gathering in settings maybe similar to this, maybe different, but the elements have been the same. And what Paul says is this is an intentional connection to what happened on Jesus' last night with his disciples. Well, the interesting thing about that is as I looked at that last night that Jesus spent with his disciples, it's, it's even part of a bigger story. Because uh, the last night he spent with his disciples in that upper room was uh, a Passover night. I don't know if you've ever um, experienced a Seder meal where you walk through the different aspects of the Passover, but it is um, chillingly beautiful the way that the Hebrew people would celebrate this Passover meal that was leading up and pointing them to their coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, it wasn't all that different of a night and celebration of this Passover meal for all intensive purposes. Uh, see, the Passover meal really revolved around four cups. There were four cups, four, four movements of this evening. They were all found, and the scriptural basis for them was found in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And listen to this as I read, and then we'll unpack what these four cups were. It says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you out. It's going to be cup one. And I will deliver you from slavery. That's going to be cup two. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. That's going to be cup three. Great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you from under, out from under the burden of the Egyptians. So as Jesus enters into this Passover meal, in this upper room that they rented, he and his disciples, he goes through this same progression. He talks about, as the host, he talks about this first cup, this declaration that God will bring his people out of Egypt. And they remember, and they talk, and they eat these bitter herbs to the point where they have tears in their eyes, and they sort of start to cry as a reminder of the slavery that they were in. Throughout the whole night, it's guided by these uh, few psalms called the Hallel, Psalms 113 to 118. And can you imagine Jesus leading this beautiful celebration at the end of this first cup where, where Jesus would take the cup and he would pour his own and he would talk about it and then he would go and he would pour all the cups for people sitting at, his, at the table. At the end of it, the tradition was that he, the host, would wash the hands of everybody sitting around the table. And it's at this point, after the first cup, that Jesus takes this, this, this deviant turn away from tradition, and he says, I don't want your hands, I want your feet. And he bends down and he starts to wash his disciples' feet. The second cup was the declaration that God will deliver his people out of slavery. He would do the same thing. He would pour his cup, and then he would pour everybody else's, and they would sing a few songs, and after that, they would eat their main course, their meal, this roasted lamb, the Passover lamb. After that was over, he would take the third cup. The third cup was this declaration by God 
to his people where he said, I will redeem you. And it was at that third cup on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he said about this cup, the I will redeem you cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant which is made in my blood. See, it's part of a bigger story. It's part of this story that God has been telling throughout all of history that he loves people enough to step in to fill the gap that our sin made and to make a way. And when Jesus takes the third cup, he says, no, it's not the blood of this lamb that's going to save you. It's actually my blood that's going to save. It's what I'm about to do in in just a, a short period of time on the cross where I give myself for your sin. That's your redemption. The lamb was pointing to the true lamb of God. So it's this invitation. Yeah, it's bread and it's juice, but it's an invitation to connect to over 2,000 years, many more if you count the Passover feasts that came before, 2,000 years of history, where followers of Jesus have gathered around these symbols, this bread and this cup, to remember and to declare his death. You understand we have a, a history, a thick history as followers of Christ. This isn't some cavalier thing that we dreamed up. This is an invitation from God to connect in a way that would shape our heart to the many who have gone before us. So he sets up this, this meal to remember. For the Hebrew mind, uh, memory, remembering, remembrance, wasn't simply to call to mind events that had happened. It, it meant to call to mind events that had happened in a way that really allowed you to enter in, to remember the agony of that night. To remember the pain of that night and to pretend to imagine ourselves there. Can I invite you just to close your eyes for just a moment? To think about what that setting might have looked like in the upper room. Table just off the floor. People sitting on the ground. Jesus leading the Passover meal. Jesus reading scripture that was thick with prophecy about his coming. And Jesus taking the cup and looking in the eyes of each of his disciples. Just imagine yourself around that table where he declared This cup, this cup of redemption, is my blood, which I'm going to shed for you, for you. As I was reading um, Diedrich Diedrich, a biography about Diedrich Bonhoeffer, I'm sorry, the last cup is I will take you to be my people. Intentionally, I'm sort of going to skip that because we'll get there. Um, I came across this quote by a man named Daniel Taylor, and here's what he says. 
He says, ethics are more formed by the stories with which we surround ourselves than just by the rules that are drilled into us. Tell us what stories you value, and we have a good start on knowing who you are and how you will act in the world. So Jesus says, this is, a, this is a story, this is an event, this is a historical account that I want you to enter into. And I want it to sink deeply down into your soul, not just as something that you do once a month, but as a story that shapes who you become and how you act in the world. Well, Paul goes on, Paul goes on. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, so we're looking back in history, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is my body, which is for you, for you. You see, as we enter into the stream of Christianity that's been flowing for 2,000 plus years, we also have to pause and recognize that what Jesus did, not only on the night that he was betrayed, but as he hung on the cross, his declaration was not just, this is for everyone. His declaration was, this is for you. For you. And you see, communion, it tunes our heart because it connects our sinfulness, our neediness to Jesus' sacrifice. It's the reminder for us that we are forgiven. He says, it's for you. My body that hung on the cross is for you because you needed it. And his pure and holy and spotless life that he lived by faith is given to you. And not just to all of you. Don't hear me say it's to all of you, all few hundred people in this room. No, no, no. It's to you also given you. So I think he would say, will you receive in this meal, will you receive the forgiveness that my body on the cross given and my blood shed in that, on that day has purchased for you? Will you walk in the freedom of being fully, completely, wholly, and totally forgiven people? And I don't care what last night looked like. Completely forgiven under the blood of Jesus. He says, it's for you. And isn't it true that we teach our kids in, in Sunday school some great truths? You, you know, like my, my daughter was singing the other night, Jesus loves me, this I know. Right, right? And I'm going, yes and amen. And how easy it is it for us as followers of Jesus, as we quote unquote mature, to get further and further and further away from the reality that he loves us. That because of the great love with which he loved us, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 5 and 6, it says that he made us alive with Christ. 
You'll see somebody, I guarantee you'll see somebody at the game today holding a sign that says John 3.16 on it. For God so what? Loved the world. You're part of that. That he gave his only son. So I think there's this invitation. Will you step back into forgiveness? Will you step back into the fact that I love you? Not at your best, but I love you at your worst and your best and everywhere in between. And I think in communion, we have this renewed invitation from God to taste and see that he's good. I love this quote by St. Francis de Sales. He said this, your greatest intention in receiving communion should be to advance comfort and strengthen yourself in the love. It's a stepping into this. He has taken your sinfulness and given you his righteousness. It's the great exchange, as the reformers called it, that he, Jesus, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Unbelievable. So I think he says, will you, um, will you receive afresh my forgiveness? Will you take in afresh my love? Will you know that you are righteous, holy, spotless, pure, redeemed? And then I think the final invitation he gives us in regards to this idea of for you is his presence. Um, for, for, well, since the 1200s, the church has wrestled with this idea. What happens at this table? I mean, there's been this affirmation amongst all denominations that it, there's some semblance of mystery. Um, the, the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation really flew onto the scene in about 1215 where, where, where followers of Jesus who were Catholic would say um, the, uh, the, the bread actually becomes the body and the juice actually becomes the blood. I think there's some issues there. I don't think it's worth dividing over. I think there's some issues there. Most notably, the first time that Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you, he was not holding his body. He was holding bread. But like I said, not worth dividing over. On the other end of the spectrum, you have the um, camp that says, this is simply remembrance. What we do is we call to mind what Jesus has done. And I would argue it is at least that because the scriptures say it's that. <laughs> Do this in remembrance. But I think there's something else that happens at this table. I don't think it's just come and remember. I think it's come and enter in. I think it's come and encounter I think it's come and taste and see that I'm good and I'm gracious and I'm enough for you. I think that in a very mysterious yet real way, Jesus meets us at his table. And the, the reformers would have called this either consubstantiation or real presence. Not that it becomes the body and blood of Christ, but that Jesus is here in a mysterious and real way with us. It says, though the Holy Spirit takes a magnifying glass on the presence of God and puts it right over this bread and this cup and says, will you come and encounter me here? Will you meet with me? 
So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation, a koinonia, a fellowship, a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not a participation in the body, a fellowship, a koinonia in the body of Christ? See, it connects us to the past it connects our sinfulness to his sacrifice and invites us to experience his love and his goodness and his presence and his forgiveness. Third, you'll notice that this whole teaching by Paul was precipitated upon this idea that there was dissension and division amongst the church. And in light of what we've just talked about, the fact that, that this is a meal celebrating God's grace and his goodness to us, his forgiveness to us, Paul's response is like, well, well, how could there be division in the body of Christ when you're celebrating the fact that you're all the redeemed? He, it's almost as though he scratches his head and goes, it just, it doesn't make sense. It's a shared meal by people who share the same convictions, who are under the same blood of Christ, and who will spend eternity together. So it benefits us to work out our differences, doesn't it? And here's the third thing that this table connects us to. It connects our autonomy to a greater community. It reminds us that we're not on this journey of life and faith alone but that God has divinely and sovereignly invited you and I to walk with each other, and we need each other as we journey through life and faith. And if anything reminds us of that, I think what the scriptures say, this table should remind us of that. See, Paul continues in verse 27. He says this, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now hold that for a second because he's going to define that down in verse 29, what he means by that. So he gives this command, let a person examine himself. So, so don't just rush to the table, you guys. Don't just, don't just rush up here in sort of a nonchalant, this is what we do on the first Sunday of the month type of way. Paul says, pause. Selah. Examine. Do I, do I believe this? It's my faith in this. It's my hope in you, Jesus. He goes on to unpack a little bit more. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Well, the body here actually means the body. The body of Christ, the church. So, so he says, look at your relationships with each other. Look at the way you're interacting with each other. Look at husbands. Look at the ways you're, you're treating your wives. Wives, look at the way you're interacting with your husbands. People, look at the way you're serving one another. Look at, are there divisions? Are there arguments? Is there gossip? He says, before you come to this table, pause and ask some So I want to pause. I want to pause because these are some weighty words. I mean, listen to what he says. He says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. 
Like, what? Because of taking this table in an unworthy manner? There's divisions, and so he says, yeah, that affects everybody here. That, that no sin we wrestle with is just, involved, just involves us. We're a body together. But if we judged ourselves truly, we'd not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So he says, and even in that, even in that, God is being good and pointing out our sin and leading us to his cross. But you can't come to this table without being engaged, without your mind thinking about his sacrifice, without your heart thinking about your connectedness to the rest of the body. You cannot come in a cavalier fashion and just come up and take and dip and eat. He says, think, examine. Wrestle. And if there are things that are outside of the bounds of what God would invite us to living in Christian community, I think what, what Paul would say is um, you don't need to necessarily resolve them before you come to this table, but you need to resolve to resolve them before you come to this table. It may not be possible to do it before you come today. It is possible to say, as much as it depends on me, I will live at peace with all people. And so if there's people I need to make things right with, I will pursue that. I think God would have us do that today. For a community together, he said it makes no sense. It makes no sense for us to come and celebrate his uniting, connecting death and have there be divisions. Well, not only does it connect us here in this body together, it connects us to the global body of followers of Jesus. That this isn't just something we do at South Fellowship Church. For 2,000 years, on every corner of the globe, followers of Jesus have celebrated this meal. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, I skipped this verse because I wanted to land the plane here. Verse 26. For, Paul says, after saying, this is my body and this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me, he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you preach, you announce, you declare. It's not just remember, it's declare. My death, the Lord's death, until he comes. And so here's the last thing that Paul says in this part of this passage, is that communion, it tunes our heart by connecting our reality to our destiny. This bread and this cup, Jesus said when he gathered his disciples around the table, it not only reminds you of what I did, but it also points you forward to what I will do. And he says he's coming back, friends. He says he's coming again, and when we celebrate this table, it catapults us out of the doldrums of the reality in which we live, where there's death and sorrow and crying and pain and regret and questions, and it pushes us forward into a destiny where he says, there's no more crying, there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, and there's no more death. That enemy has been conquered too. That's, that, that's what this meal's about. It's about connecting you to these deep realities and these deep truths that springboard us out of the day-to-day -day into the real, 
you know the Bible talks about a supper, a feast that you and I will have? Let's just read it. It says in in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine the reality? And can you imagine the Apostle John trying to come up with metaphors that would make this make sense? Hallelujah! For the Lord, our God, the Almighty, he reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride, that's you, has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Now, if you're John, you're going, duly noted. (laughs) Got my moleskin, I'm ready to go. Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a feast. It's a feast that is the culminating event that invites us into our eternity with our Savior. The bride and the husband, they gather around this table and they feast. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew records Jesus saying a very similar thing. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So he says this meal isn't just about looking back, it's about looking forward to our destiny, friends, to our destiny. And then, verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus marches to his death. Wouldn't you love to know what Jesus' voice sounded like as he sang I mean, wouldn't you love to have been at that table to hear, was he, was he a baritone or was he a tenor? And he, wasn't, he, was, he was not doing harmony. He was singing the melody, I guarantee you that. It was all about him. Wouldn't you, have loved, wouldn't you love to know what song, what hymn they sang? Here's the thing. We do. In many ways. The Passover feast always ended with Psalm 118. The Hallel, it was what this night was sort of shaped around. It began in Psalm 113, and it ended in Psalm 118. And just pause for a moment and listen to these few verses in Psalm 118 that Jesus probably sang with his disciples. Verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Does that give you chills? I mean, to hear 
the Savior moments before he marches to Calvary say, open to me the gates of righteousness that I might enter through them. Verse 20, this is the gate of the Lord. And he sings it. You're looking at him, disciples. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you've answered me and have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He says, they're going to crucify me, but everything you hope for and everything you dreamed about will be sealed in my giving myself up. They rejected me, but I'm the cornerstone that everything you hope for is built on. This is the Lord's doing, not an accident. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? Right before he sweats drops of blood agonizing over the reality, he says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Friends, you have been Invited, not just to a meal, but to an eternity. And these symbols, they, they're just symbols, but they remind us of the fact that Jesus gave himself for us. That his body was nailed to the cross for us. That his blood was shed on your behalf. And so for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus, they gather around the table to retell and re-enter the story where Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which I'm going to give for you because I love you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant which is made in my blood the new covenant of grace, the new covenant of mercy, the new covenant of God saying, I have made a way for you. And as long as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we preach, we proclaim, we declare, our God came. And he's here. And he's coming back. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.